You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. In retail today, you need to have a laser clear understanding of your brand and what it stands for. But what if what you stand for is no longer culturally relevant? Can you shed your skin and completely reinvent yourself? Can you buy your way out of cultural insignificance? The lingerie brand Victoria's Secret has tried to do exactly that, and it hasn't worked out so well. On today's podcast, we're going to be exploring what went wrong at Victoria's Secret, how they tried to fix it, and whether they can go back to their roots in a post-MeToo world. So, a little recap. Five years ago, recognizing that their brand's hypersexualized image just does not align with societal norms today, Victoria's Secret embarked on one of the most radical brand transformations in recent history. They ditched the catwalk, they swapped their famous Victoria's Secret angels for a team of female activists in an attempt to overhaul their image. But their feminist makeover hasn't translated into sales. On an investor call earlier this month, CEO Martin Waters himself said that the retailers' inclusivity initiatives and campaigns had, in his words, not been enough to carry the day. Now, pre-COVID, this was a $7 billion-plus business. Now, they're expecting revenues of $6.2 billion this year in 2023. Go woke, go broke, according to the naysayers. But I think there's more at play here. The Me Too movement came and suddenly brands like Victoria's Secret were very exposed. Victoria's Secret was a wildly dated concept, culturally relevant for the 90s and the early 2000s, but today, not so much. The world has moved on in such a big way. And this is a good thing, just to be clear. Victoria's Secret is a company that was created by a man, led by men, and actually even designed for men. So in the early days, Victoria's Secret was all about offering a comfortable and inviting space where men could come in and buy lingerie for their girlfriends or wives. In fact, it apparently got its name from Queen Victoria as a sort of nod to the Victorian era. And the secret, referring to the hidden nature of lingerie at that time. And in fact, when Les Wexner, who would go on to buy Victoria's Secret and turn it into the, the business that it is today, the, the retail empire that it is today, a dwindling one, but, but still a, an empire nonetheless. But when he first set foot in Victoria's Secret back in the 80s, it was just a handful of stores then. And... He described it as, these are his words, not English Victorian, but brothel Victorian with red velvet sofas. There wasn't erotic lingerie, but there was very sexy lingerie, and I hadn't seen anything like it in all my travels. So yeah, that's what Victoria's Secret was about back in the early days. And, you know, up until recently, it it (laughs) 
<laughs> hadn't veered too far from exactly that. I think the brand was also for men in the sense that it really objectified women. There's no way to sugarcoat that. I mean, I personally remember being in college and watching the um, the Victoria's Secret angels strutting down the runway in their stilettos and what <laughs> looked like incredibly heavy, ridiculous angel wings. I just remember thinking like, how uncomfortable they looked and how thin they were and just how unachievable that look was to normal women like me. And so I guess for me, it wasn't just the, from my own personal point of view, it wasn't just the unattainable standards and this kind of toxic objectification, but it was also the lack of diversity that was a problem, a really big problem. So most of these models were white. They were, as I said, very, very thin. Um, and <laughs> to add fuel to this fire, Ed Razik, who used to be the uh, their marketing chief, he said back in 2018, hugely controversially, and if you follow Victoria's Secret, you'll know this already, but he said that they wouldn't cast plus-sized or transgender models because the Victoria's Secret show is supposed to be a fantasy, in his words. Now, Razek himself was the subject of repeated complaints about inappropriate conduct. According to the New York Times, he tried to kiss models and ask them to sit on his lap and all sorts of uh, inappropriate, very inappropriate behavior. The Times, uh, actually, um, the investigation from the Times is covered in an article called Angels in Hell, the Culture of Misogyny Inside Victoria's Secret. So if you're interested, definitely go back and have a read of that. But the investigation found widespread bullying and harassment of not just the models, but Victoria's Secret employees as well. So the New York Times uh, has described Victoria's Secret Victoria's Secret's culture as misogynistic and one that, quote unquote, trafficked in sexism, sizeism, and ageism. There were countless critics publicly speaking out against Victoria's Secret. So you have, for example, Bella Hadid, which is supermodel. She said she had to unlearn toxic body image behaviors. And she alleged that um, she herself was harassed by Razik when he was still at Victoria's Secret. So again, very, very serious allegations there. Megan Rapinoe, the U.S. soccer star, she previously described the brand as patriarchal, sexist, viewing not just what it meant to be sexy, but what the clothes were trying to accomplish through a male lens and through what men desired. And then, of course, there was the Jeffrey Epstein connection. The convicted sex offender had longstanding business ties with the former owner, Les Wexner. So, yeah, talk about needing an image overhaul. <laughs> okay, so now I want to come on to what changed at Victoria's Secret, and more specifically, why it hasn't worked. The big, obvious change came at the top. So back in 2019, 
Activist shareholder Barrington Capital urged management to update what it referred to as a tone-deaf image. And they specifically called out the fact that nine of 11 board members at the time were male. <laughs> I mean, looking at this now, it's it's so obvious, right? What the One of the biggest problems was, um, obviously that's not the only problem, but that's, that is a good starting point is if your product is going to be sold to a predominantly female audience, you need to get females at the top. Now, fast forward to 2023, and today the board is, it's a lot smaller with five members. They're all female, and the exec team is also predominantly female. So big change there. The second big change, as I said at the start, was that they dropped their iconic angels, and they brought in this group of female activists, athletes, and even entrepreneurs to become the new face of the brand. In fact, one of those was Megan Rapinoe, which again, was previously, she was previously a huge critic of Victoria's Secret. They also ditched their catwalks, uh, which again, they were always sort of cringy, so got rid of that. And then the last kind of major thing, in my view, that they did was they made huge strides with inclusivity and body positivity. So they started hiring uh, plus size models. They started hiring models from the LGBTQ community, including their first openly transgender model and also the first model with Down syndrome. So much more inclusive than the old Victoria's Secret. So why are they still struggling? I think it's delicate because when you make such a fundamental shift, when you embark on such a huge transformation, you know that you're going to alienate some customers. You know there are going to be a lot of keyboard warriors out there. <laughs> and I suppose they thought that this was a gamble that was worth taking. They had to evolve. They had to change. The world is very polarized today, and inclusive marketing can backfire if it's not managed in an incredibly delicate way. I think even those customers that were previously disenfranchised with the Victoria's Secret brand and, and on paper would have supported this huge shift in strategy, I think the problem there was that a lot of people questioned the integrity of this move. Was it just a PR stunt? A box ticking exercise? We talk a lot about greenwashing, but what about diversity washing? I personally feel that Victoria's Secret's newfound conscience and subsequent brand overhaul whiffed of inauthenticity. It was probably too much too soon for a lot of people to accept it. And don't forget, today, people are looking for brands with purpose, especially the Gen Z and younger um, demographics. They, they're really looking for brands that um, whose, whose values live up to their own. They're looking for that transparency. So you can't just pay lip service to an idea. You have to really live and breathe those values. And the other important point here is that in the underwear and lingerie space, we have seen a lot of new brands emerging that cater ex to this need, to this need for purpose and transparency and um, inclusivity. So you, 
for example, you've got Rihanna's Savage X Fenty or um, Skims, which is Kim Kardashian's line that is actually now valued at $4 billion. So very small in terms of top line sales, very small compared to a heavyweight like Victoria's Secret, but definitely a disruptor to watch. So this has put even more pressure on Victoria's Secret, this emergence of new disruptive brands. It's put even more pressure on them to evolve their offering and, of course, their broader image. But I would also question whether it's perhaps a little bit too late. They only changed when push came to shove, when society left them with no other option. And to me, it almost feels like they've been dragged I won't say kicking and screaming, but it does feel like they've been dragged into this post-Me Too world. That said, they are still the largest underwear retailer in North America. They've got about 20% market share. So they're not ready to kind of <laughs> roll over and die. They're, they're going to keep you know, giving this another shot. Now, what they want to do very briefly is they want to uh, bring sexy back, but they want to do it in a more inclusive way. So on this investor call uh, last week, Greg Eunice, who is um, one of the company's presidents, he said, and these are his words, sexiness can celebrate the diverse experiences of our customers, and that's what we're focused on. So they're going to be, naturally, they're going to be focused on cutting costs. They need to get that sales engine going again in order to ultimately improve profitability. That's a really big focus. And in order to do that, they are planning to um, revive swimwear and activewear. Those are two categories that they had exited in recent years. And they're also going to be looking to add new products like loungewear, sweaters, slip dresses, and corsets. Ultimately, I think this is one of the more challenging, one of the more delicate brand transitions, but At the end of the day, you need to stay relevant to your customer. Preferences and values have evolved dramatically in a relatively short space of time. And I think maybe Victoria's Secret veered a little bit too far and too quickly from its core in order to catch up. So they were doing the right thing. They were trying to catch up with the rest of society. The question now is whether customers will accept a climb down or whether it further tarnishes the brand. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference. 